this place tonight. Ever left home and you have that funny feeling that you've forgotten something? Maybe you've been waiting all year to go on vacation. You drive out of the driveway, you get on the highway, and mom says, I think I left the curling iron on. Anybody ever happened that in your household? Right? It's like every single time uh, we get on the road, it's usually the curling iron or, or some, maybe it's the iron. Well, there's a, there's a man and his wife, every time they got in, uh, on the car driving out of town for vacation, his wife would say, honey, we've got to go back home. I, I think I left the iron on. And, and uh, you know, if, you don't, if we don't turn around, the whole house is going to burn down. I've heard this so many times, uh, and I was reading about it this week. And so the guy said uh, he did turn around, they'd drive back, and inevitably the iron was not plugged in. But, you know, in her mind it was plugged in. So finally one trip, they get in the car, and they get on the highway, and the, once again, Honey, we got to turn around and go back. I think I left the iron on in the house. And uh, he pulled over to the side of the road. He gets out, and he goes back to the back of the car, and he comes back and hands her the iron. All right? So just uh, he knew it was coming. He was prepared, you know. And uh, he had one job there, and uh, he made sure he uh, performed. But our text today introduces us to a man that's often referred to as the rich young ruler. And uh, Matthew tells us he was a young man. Luke describes him as a ruler or an aristocrat. Uh, aristocrat. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that he was a rich man. But he was a man that had two things, everything and nothing. He was wealthy and successful, but he turned away from Jesus with nothing. He was searching for meaning. He was searching for purpose. He was searching for, for fulfillment in life. And, and, and he... Um, and he was searching for you know, something that had value or worth. Millions of people today are searching for something they really can't even put their finger on it. They're searching for what they're actually looking for. In 1987, Bono and the Irish rock band U2 uh, recorded a song with a universal search. He said, I've run, I have crawled, I've scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's going to be in your head for the rest of the message this morning. And, he ends up the song referring to Jesus. He says, you broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. Oh, my shame, you know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Bono is now 62 years old. And over the last several years, he's become more and more vocal about his faith in Jesus. He granted an interview with Focus on the Family several years ago in which he made clear he had finally found what it was he was looking for, a relationship with Jesus. By the way, his real name is, is Paul David Hewson, and he said, Who is Christ? is a defining question for every person. You're not let off easily by saying a great thinker or a philosopher. He went on around saying he was the Messiah. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. He either was the Son of God or he was nuts. And I find it hard to accept that millions of lives have felt their lives touched and inspired and changed by some nut. I don't believe it. 2,000 years ago, a rich young ruler comes on the scene and encounters Jesus. He's searching for something. So let's look at our text. It'll be on the screen in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. I'm excited to be back in the book of Mark. I hope you're enjoying studying the gospel of Mark and going verse by verse and seeing how it has the power to transform our lives. Just he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, 
Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's setting the foundation of who he is. Who he was, he is the son of God. He is deity. He is part of the Trinity. And he says, except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have all these things I've kept from my youth. In other words, I've grown up a good Jewish young man. I've done all of these good deeds. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, he says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22 says, disheartened by the saying, you went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Listen to this phrase, for all things are what church? Possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And he finishes verse 31, but many who are first will be last. And the last, what church? First. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, for the next few moments, may we just focus our attention on your word. And Lord, the power it has to transform our lives. Lord, I pray for those who may be counting on their good looks. Maybe they're counting on their, their riches. Maybe they're counting on their intellect, uh, their, their position, their power, their job. Uh, whatever it may be. And they're counting on that to gain them entrance or relationship with God. God, I pray this morning we would understand that without Jesus, we are all empty. We all have a void that is, is longing to be filled that, with that relationship with Jesus Christ. God, would you transform us? Lord, would you change lives this morning? God, would you give us the ability to see clearly what Christ was trying to show this rich young ruler, which he couldn't figure out, he couldn't wrap his mind around, God, we, we understand this morning that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. And God, would you transform and change lives today. Those that have never placed their faith and trust in you, may today be that moment that they bow their knee and confess you as Lord and Savior and radically transform their lives. And God, for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, may it cause our focus to stay on you and and trust fully in your, your word and your power to transform us, God. And would may we not count on our own strength or ability or riches or, 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 or talent or treasure, any of those things, Lord, to, to gain a, a, your favor. But God, may we trust fully in you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love the passage here. 
Christ is, is, is talking about what it means to trust fully in Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, we were talking about uh, the importance of, uh, of reaching today's generation, to reach the next generation. And we asked people to raise their hands across the building about how many had gotten saved uh, as, a, as a child, uh, as a teenager. Uh, under the age of 21, it was 75% of the building uh, had accepted Christ before the age of 21. And it, it's, it's amazing to think just a few uh, but beyond that, ever come to faith and trust in Jesus. He came, here's a man who came to Jesus, the right person. He came with the right energy. He was running to Jesus. He had the right attitude. He knelt before the Lord. Uh, he came with the right question, how can I have eternal life? What a contrast. This rich man came running, smiling, full of hope. But we see he walked away full of sorrow dragging his feet with, with only hope it was in his wealth. And we can imagine this morning, we can examine this amazing encounter. Let's look at these five episodes that took place in the story that we're going to see with the rich young ruler. We see, first of all, a strange conversation where Jesus says, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Because you think about it, just for a second, what's wrong with the picture? Why would Jesus tell someone, to keep the commandments in order to obtain eternal life. We all know that we're not saved. We don't make it into God's kingdom by obeying rules. In fact, so many people have falsely assumed that if I go to church every Sunday, if I have my name on a roll, if I have my Bible under my arm on Sunday when I go into church, if I have on a certain outfit or have a certain look or a certain image, if I give a certain amount of money to church, if I go on a mission trip, if I help the poor, if I, if I help the needy of my city, I'm somehow going to gain entrance or favor with God. And so this first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, here's a young ruler who says, I can quote the Ten Commandments. I've kept all of the commandments. And every Jew were, had learned them from a young age. The Ten Commandments were divided into two sections. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. We should have no other gods before us. We should make, shouldn't make or worship idols. We should never take God's name in vain. We should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But the second section, those six commandments, the last six, are about how we relate with one another. This is the section that Jesus quoted, and he intentionally omitted one of the Ten Commandments. So if we're counting them, and I said, I'm going to give you commandments number one, two, four, five, six, seven. And if you're counting, you're sitting here going, a math person, uh, someone who doesn't really, uh, they're sitting there going, wait a minute, you skipped number three. You skipped number six. You skipped, or whatever it is, it, it, it registers in our mind if you're, if you're counting them off. But here Jesus is saying, keep the commandments. Jesus left out one. Let's go through them. He says, don't murder. Check. Don't commit adultery. Check. I've not done that. Don't steal. Check. Don't bear false witness. Defraud your neighbor. Check. Honor your father and your mother. Check. Which one did he leave off intentionally? Do not 
Here he's talking to a rich man, someone who is consumed with his wealth. And he says, do not covet. It means a desire to have more and more things. And Jesus knew that the rich man's problem was he wasn't content with what he had. He was always wanting more. A rich man years ago said, I don't want all the land. I just want all the land that touches mine. There's no uh, satisfying of that desire because, folks, if you want everything that touches yours, eventually it takes over and it's obsessive. It's something that drives you more than anything else. And there's one thing Jesus said you like. This man had everything, but he did not have God in his life. His God was his wealth. His God was his gold. And, and see, there's only room for one God in our life. Our lesson here, our life lesson is Jesus will probe our heart to expose any competing gods in our lives. I love how the Word of God tells us that the Bible is, is like a mirror to the soul. In fact, when we look into it, it begins to reveal areas of our lives that aren't what they should be. And that's why it's so important to read the Word of God. But Jesus wanted to point out this rich man had a problem with greed and covetousness. But he didn't just come out and say it. He kept probing until he saw the problem for himself. I love how Jesus does that. He gives us time to meditate on the word. And folks, if we'll be still, I think we said this morning in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Folks, if we'll just sit down and watch and listen to the Holy Spirit, he wants to teach us. He wants to reveal the areas of our lives that need change. The Holy Spirit is working on you right now about some area. He's wanting to transform in our life. Folks, if you allow him to this morning, he will show you areas that we need to submit. Areas of our lives that we need to say, God, I'm tired of, uh, of trying to control this. I, we're all control freaks in some way. Lord, I'm tired of, uh, of trying to do it on my own. I'm going to surrender this area of my life, whatever it is. Maybe it's finances this morning. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's fear. And we're crippled, and it's keeping us from following God's plan for our lives. We see, secondly, there was shocking advice. Jesus tells this rich young ruler, he says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. All right, when you don't have a whole lot, selling all that you have and giving it to the poor, <laughs> no big deal. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and said, Pastor David, if I sell all that I have, you know, I'm going to be out about $22. You know, I've got a teen, I've got four teenagers in my house. I mean, on the best of days, I mean, broke is just the name of the game. I mean, you know, sometimes you're like they're they're coming, they're wanting this particular video game, or and they're like, oh, the other night, uh, Matt, uh, Jackson had uh, had this thing going on competition with the teens and and youth group, and my son won twenty dollars, and he said, but dad, there's this video game I want, and it's thirty dollars. I said. I ain't paying that other $10. And he says, well, Dad, it's only $10 more. And I'm like, well, then cough it up. You've got some money. And so he goes to his little personal stash, and he comes back, and he gives me $30. And he wants to get this video game. Folks, there's something about that. It's shocking. But sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. It's not so bad when you don't have anything. But here's a man who had great wealth. 
It was going to cost him. It was going to cost him greatly. And Jesus said there's one thing that's lacking. This one verse has caused more confusion and consternation perhaps than any other verse in the Bible. Multitudes read it and thought, I want to obey God, so, I, so should I go and sell everything that I have and give it to the poor? Take a vow of poverty and follow Jesus. Here's the short answer. You don't need to sell all your, you don't need to sell your house and your car and your riches in order to have God in your life. Unless those things have become your God. Here's the short answer. This rich man is the only person to whom Jesus ever spoke with that clarity. In fact, Nicodemus was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. Jesus never told them to sell their possessions and give it to the poor to follow him. What the life lesson is, Jesus provides a personal solution to remove any competing gods. So maybe it's a job and we think, man, we have arrived Sometimes God may have to take that job away from us before we look at him and say, God, no, I'm nothing. I'm powerless without you. Maybe it's the, the strength and the, the good health and, and you're thinking, man, I've, I've got these six-pack abs. I've been working on some. Like, yeah, that's a long way from that. Ain't never seen any abs in our household anyway. But you know what the reality is, is oh, you can count on your, your physique and your, 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 your good looks and one Doctor visit can change all of that. You can count all of everything and say, you know what? This house is everything. And, and Ray Brim, one of our, our, our drummers, they were sitting, laying in bed, sleeping one night. And they were awakened to the fact that their house was raging in fire. The entire attic of their house was consumed, flames were shooting out of the roof, and they literally escaped with only the clothes on their back. Lost every financial thing that they had ever gained. And folks, the reality is this morning is God can, if he has to, remove the gods of our lives, the things that are distracting us, that keep us from focusing on him and serving God. With the life lesson, Jesus provides a personal solution to remove any competing gods. He looked into his heart. He saw that money was his God. And he wanted more and more. Folks, it meant he was, he was coveting what other people had. And you aren't losing your treasure if you give it to God or give it to the poor. But what you're doing is you're laying up treasure in heaven, as, Matthew, as Jesus said in Matthew. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned there's only room for one God in our lives. In fact, he says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what, church? So what is he saying? He's saying this thing had become a God in his life. It was all-consuming. In John chapter 4, Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman of the world, and she was asking for living water. Jesus didn't say, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. No, he, he didn't say, love your neighbor. That was... That was her problem. She loved too many of her neighbors. In fact, if you know the story of the woman of the well, uh, she had been around the block more than a couple times. And, and finally, Jesus said, no, go call your husband. And she said, um, I don't have a husband. And he said, you said it well. You've had five husbands, and 
The man you're currently living with isn't your husband. He was pointing out that she already had a God with a little G in her life. And what he's saying is, you need to forsake all of those other gods and serve and follow me. She later became the village evangelist, bringing people to meet Jesus. In fact, she goes back into her city and says, you need to come and meet this man who told me everything I had ever Woo, don't you know there was some shame and guilt in that city? Is people are like, oh, woo, I don't think I want to go meet that person. I mean, he's, he's calling names. He's telling tales of, of all the things that she's done. But folks, she brought people to faith in Jesus. If you have a competing God ruling your life, Jesus will give us a unique word to replace that God with the true and living God. Then he gives us a personal choice. He went away sad for he had great wealth. Mark is the only one who gives us this tiny detail that Jesus looked at a young man. And in verse 23, he says he loved him. We know that God loves the world. We know that Jesus loves everyone. But sometimes don't we forget that Jesus loves us individually? It's a reminder this morning, verse 23, God loves every single one of us. He looks down and sees us exactly where we are. He meets us where we are, and he loves us in spite of ourselves. There's a painting by the German artist Heinrich Hoffmann. In this frozen scene, Hoffmann captures the divine drama of this moment. The rich young ruler is, is seen wearing his fancy clothes and, and his hat, and Jesus is calling him. He says, sell all of your riches, give away all of your wealth, to the poor, and you see them over on the side, and follow me. You see, the, the sad part of the story is, he was told how to have a relationship with God, and yet, he sadly shakes his head and says no. The price is too high. He walks away, and folks, it's a reminder that not every story in Scripture says, and they all lived happily ever after. That only happens in a Disney uh, a story. It only happens in, in the fairy tales. But he walked away, hanging his head, because he said he, he had everything, and yet he realized he had nothing. The lesson here is Jesus offers us eternal life. But folks, he does not force you to follow him. He doesn't force us to believe in him. He doesn't force us to choose to follow him with our lives. But because he rejected Jesus, his identity is lost to history. Think about it. He could have written one of the gospel accounts had he come to faith in Christ. Imagine the radical transformation Jesus would have accomplished in his life. Then we see, fourthly, a camel joke. A camel could squeeze through the needle's eye easier than a rich person could get into heaven. Jesus was always using play on words. and He was using an a, 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 a illustration to get a point, to make a point. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever had to sew a, a button back on your shirt and you're trying to feed that, I mean, when you're like 21, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's just, just stick it through there. It looks like it's like this big around. And 
Now that I'm 48, you know, I'm sitting there looking at that needle and, I'm, and you're holding it further and further back and, and you're, you're putting on your glasses and you're trying to find that little hole that's so daggone tiny. I mean, you, you literally are straining to, to see the, the tiny hole there. And he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Matthew chapter 23, he uses a pun to describe the Pharisees. He said, you guys are straining at a gnat and swallow a camel. The Aramaic word for gnat is galma, and the word for camel is, gam for camel is gamla. They sound alike, they look similar, but Jesus says, you strain at the gamas, but you swallow the gamlas. Some people are trying to explain the joke away, but folks, the eye of the needle, they're saying, was a small door made for people and and a camel could possibly squeeze through, but it would have been very difficult. The only thing wrong with that rationale is it's wrong. Because in the New Testament, uh, New Testament scholar Dr. Hugh Nibley writes, he says, the needle in the, the, the account here in Matthew and Mark is the word raphus. and Luke, it's the word balone. Both are referring to needles used for sewing. See, that's the thing, when you dig a little bit deeper into Scripture and you realize what Jesus said was, it exactly, it was exactly what he said. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. And the gate idea was probably invented by some 19th century minister in a wealthy community to keep his congregation pacified and being consumed by their wealth. And what he's saying is, he says, people are struggling Life lesson here is, if it's impossible for a rich person or a poor one to enter God's kingdom. And the point that Jesus was making is, it's impossible for anyone to gain salvation through our own merit. It's impossible for us to get to God on our own. Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I love the word of God. It, it, it reminds us we can't get there on, on, on our own. What are you trusting this morning? What is it that's competing for God in your life? And we must all come to the Jesus the very same way. In fact, this week, Forbes 400, a list of the wealthiest Americans came out. And there was some chatter amongst people in the triangle of who's the richest person in the triangle. Anybody else see this? These uh, reports that came out this week. And, and it said, uh, uh, they're trying to figure out who is the wealthiest person. Epic Games uh, founder Tim Sweeney had passed SAS co-founder Jim Goodnight at $7.6 to SAS founder $7.5 billion. $100 million separates the two richest people in our community the truth is no matter your net worth folks there's only one way to jesus it doesn't matter if you have the biggest house the biggest checking account the best biggest life savings account on the planet you cannot buy your way in a right relationship with god and we see lastly the good news all things are possible with who church with god all things are possible with God. Notice the difference, capital G. 
Every other God of this world is with a little g, a lowercase g, but all things are possible with God. The disciples were under the impression that rich people were blessed by God, and so that they had heard the camel joke, they turned to Jesus in amazement. Verse 26 and 27, who then can be saved? Jesus answered with a profound truth, with man it's impossible, for all things are possible with God. God specializes in miracles. When Moses had a raging sea in front of him and an army in fast pursuit behind him, he faced an impossible situation. The folks, God specializes in the impossible. Suddenly he made a 12-lane expressway in the middle of the Red Sea, and Moses and the Egyptian army crossed over on dry ground. That's the God of the impossible. When David faced a 10-foot giant with only a slingshot in his hand, it was a, an impossible by human standards. But folks, the God of the impossible directed the stone to strike Goliath right between the eyes. And the Word of God tells us that David took Goliath's sword and chopped his head off. He cut it off. I mean, he made sure. When, when I kill a snake in my house, don't judge me. We can talk later. I'm absolutely terrified. But when I kill a snake in my house, I cut his head off. Anybody else? I don't want any chance of that thing attacking me or anybody else in my house or my dogs. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut his head off. And folks, that's what David did with Goliath. He cut his head off. And it was the God of the impossible. When I went to Israel in 2019, one of my favorite all-time moments was standing there looking at that very valley where David slew Goliath, thinking to myself, Whoo, one of the greatest battles that we read about in Scripture was accomplished right there on that battlefield by a young man named David who was... He was the least likely to go up in battle against a 10-foot giant. And yet, that is exactly who God chose for the job. When Gabriel visited a teenage girl named Mary, he announced that she would have God's favor on her life. And she would give birth to the Son of God who would become the Savior of the world. Mary said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Gabriel said, nothing is impossible with God. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but it's a miracle when God takes a person through the door of salvation. This morning, the Word of God tells us He's knocking. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He wants you to place your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. The, the life lesson here is, Eternal life can't be earned or bought. It's a what church? It's a gift. It's a what church? It's a what? It's a gift. Folks, we're getting ready for Christmas. Some people are, Amazon is sending their, 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 their catalogs to our house. I mean, we're, we're not even holding back now. I mean, it's like kids are making less. They're checking it twice. They're trying to make sure they're not naughty or nice. And the reality is this morning is Jesus Christ has the greatest gift ever is to receive Jesus, receive eternal life. 
The rich young ruler walked away singing the U2 chorus, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He left without finding a relationship with Jesus. God help us this morning not to allow any other God to distract us from the God who laid down his life, the king who took our place, took my suffering, my shame, my sin on the cross, folks, and made possible a right relationship with Jesus. Say, Pastor, what's the application? Have you found eternal life? Have you found life eternal, folks? You won't find life in morality or religion. You'll only find it in a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, he says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The first step to coming to faith in Jesus is the admission that we are a sinner in need of forgiveness. We're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Folks, that's every single person, not only in this room, but on the planet. We have to come to the place that we realize without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'll spend all of eternity in a place called hell. I was reading some of the details of Queen Elizabeth's life a month or so ago whenever we were watching the details after her death and her, her funeral. And I mean, I'll be honest, I was amazed. I was like, I, I want to go to London. I want to go to London. I want to go to Westminster Abbey. I want to see Buckingham Palace. I want to see these places from my own eyes because it's it's hard to imagine. But there was a lady who understood that she had to trust in Jesus Christ to forgive her of her sins, and she counted that relationship with God as her most prized possession. Folks, that's what happens when you truly understand what Jesus has done on the cross. It's not about the wealth of this world. It's not about what we have to offer God. It's realizing without God, we are nothing. And we, have, we are in desperate need of a Savior. The rich young ruler had so much, but he ended up with nothing but the God of wealth in his life. Folks, if you don't have Jesus, you have absolutely nothing. Imagine having everything and yet having nothing. Jesus looks into our heart and says, get rid of those idols and follow me. I can give you a life that is truly worth living. I wonder this morning, will you trust him? Will you choose to follow Jesus above all other gods. Heavenly Father, this morning, 